Can we get out? Can we get home? Can we get rolling, baby? Can we go long? Can we go home? Never before. Can we find the life that he don't want anymore? Well, I don't know where to wander and so Can we be lost when we got nowhere to go? Put it in gear, nothing to fear. Start singing along, my darling, come over here. Yes! Woo! <laughs> that was sick! That was so good! <laughs> you know, in that conversation about Instagram, I think it can really easily sound like we were bitching. And we perhaps were. But I think... It, our backgrounds are particularly relevant to that conversation in that we both have a real understanding of language and how language is used and how marketing is done across many different industries. Um, what's, what's your relationship to that? Mm, so I, I worked as a journalist in media for 10 years uh, prior to pivoting out of that and into having two other businesses of my own before my current space in human design but I worked for some pretty global companies like um, CNN Associated Press um, I worked in Asia for the Phnom Penh Post which is the national newspaper of Cambodia as a video journalist where I was also based stringing for some larger international media corporations and working from Australia, I worked for companies like Fox, um, a major broadsheet newspaper called the Sydney Morning Herald and their online division as well, and the Financial Review, which I guess is like, I don't know, the Wall Street Journal equivalent in Australia, which I wouldn't put them on the same like category per se, but that is all to say, uh, plenty of experience, and also working for brands in advertising like, you know, Coca-Cola-esque type companies um, and big Fortune 500 companies. So a strong understanding of how we're using language to, um, what's a nicer word than manipulate or coerce? Well, <laughs> I mean, marketing is using words and design to, and story to change human behavior and change human belief. And kind of push an agenda. In order to, you know, in a corporate world... Or sell product. To sell product. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So you're pretty connected to that and have really seen that. So what does that do when you see Instagram writing stuff like this? What do you understand inherently about the process or the thought that went into that? Or how does that... I mean... I mean, it's so interesting to me because I... I pursued journalism in the first place because I was someone who was pursuing truth. I was pursuing story, like truth in through storytelling and wanting to understand like the meaning behind something, what is real. And I came into news on the cusp of th this digital revolution that at least in Australia really took over, I would say in like 2008, 2009, prior to that, um, a lot of news wasn't really even online. Uh, we're probably a little bit behind you guys, but... Oh, fuck. I mean, 
there used to be such a thing as fact checking and there used to be such a thing as integrity in reporting and reflection in reporting and what's so interesting to me is like I'm digressing a little bit but I will circle back just the very fact that we've gone from um, a news cycle where there was a little bit more time to digest information assimilate and then reflect we don't have that anymore with the 24-hour news cycle it's constantly we're under pressure we in quotation marks are constantly under pressure to just putting out more information more information more information to the point where we're actively and I did this I did this working as a fucking news reporter tweak a story to the point of it not necessarily being rooted in any fact or truth just so that it sounds like it's a new angle or it sounds fresh and not to mention clickbait not to mention using a headline to mislead someone simply to click on it so that they get the hits so that they can get the advertising dollars to support the operation yeah and just to be clear this is a phenomenon that i don't think a whole lot of people generally know about that 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 companies that sell news like the new york times or the australian herald or whatever it was yeah they the website that they create they are getting paid based on from advertisers for everyone who views that page so or visits that page which, they could get paid for both. Which is an extension of the original model where we had newspapers and advertise or like classified ads supporting or funding the news. But the the way news is sourced is very different now to how it used to be. We used to have a lot of people on the ground getting information from a source and then generating the story. Now what we have is a lot of uh, what we call the wires, so your Associated Press, your Bloomberg, these big organisations where there's one or two people in a location somewhere in the world with one angle, one story, and that one story and one angle is sent to every other news conglomerate in the world that a journalist then receives in their fucking inbox because you get the wires updated every few hours or every minute or whatever it is. And then they're just rewriting that story to then go up on whatever website, whatever. Yeah. Everyone is just getting the same information from the same one source. That's not a very holistic view of what is, of being informed. Right. Now, is it true to assume that in these cases, it's like you have one scientist or one person in this organization that everyone goes to for news? Is that the kind of dynamic that exists too or tends to happen? Um, depends. I think it depends. I know that there's certainly everyone sort of has their contacts and you would go to your contact for whatever the story may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, I've had my contacts, but because they were quote unquote more controversial or they weren't um, towing the line of you know a government um, alliance with the publication that I was working for. Yeah. Uh, it was deemed, you know, not credible, I suppose you could say. Um, I mean, I find this an interesting story to recount back a number of years ago when 
Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 just disappeared out of the sky. I was assigned that story. Um, it was an investigative piece, uh, which basically we were looking into what had potentially happened to this flight. Um, has it gone down? Has it crashed into the water, into a mountain? Did, was it taken over by terrorists? Who fucking knows? And the lead was that uh, the when we would call the mobile phones of or the cell phones of the people on this flight, it rang out. Mm-hmm. It just rang out. It didn't go to voicemail. It didn't just stop. Um, and so I ended up interviewing a number of like telecommunication companies in Malaysia just to find out like what is the protocol when. What does that signify, right? If a phone is underwater, what would it do if you tried to call it? If a phone was flat, what would you do if you tried to call it? And the end result being one of hope that, well, if they rang out, presumably it's not underwater and it's in some service, but it's not being answered. Mm, Okay. Which was interesting. And the editor at the time who gave me this story said we want to sort of consider these different conspiracy theories and so this is where I went with it when I submitted the story he just kind of scoffed at me and said no I was thinking more like an alien abduction which was really interesting coming from one of the quote-unquote most credible news organizations in Australia and I I just I walked out at the end of my shift and said someone else can do that that's fascinating. What I don't even get what he was getting at. Like, was that a popular narrative? Well, alien abduction would get probably more clicks on gotcha. a news story yeah. than... Possible alien abduction of Malaysia than, flight. Oh, maybe yeah. the survivors of this flight that disappeared are still alive as phone spring out. Let's t- talk about this little transition real quickly. Let me know if I'm correct in that in print... It would be that someone would pay to have their ad run. Then they'd pay based off the real state of that ad. And then when it went digital, it became that advertisers were essentially, maybe they'd pay for that spot, but then they'd pay back the company based on impressions, based on number of people who hit it, which is different than the print, which would didn't necessarily matter how many ran you were no, just paying or how many the people saw the... you just paid for the real estate mm-hmm. well also because depending on the the newspaper itself it would have a circulation right like the circulation yeah. of the new york times would be gazillions or whatever so right. the real estate in the new york times is going to be quite valuable in that regard so it doesn't really matter even how many people are right. looking at the ad the real estate value of that newspaper is inherent but and that when we changes moved, the incentive a bit oh absolutely and yeah. because we were like digital still to this day is we're navigating the wild west in terms of you know privacy and collecting data and all of these different informations we don't really know how to like navigate this landscape let alone a media conglomerate which a lot of media organizations were probably a little bit behind in terms of their adoption of technology and there wasn't a lot of strategy or thought, I feel, this is my personal opinion, when it came to transitioning from print into digital, there was a dumbing down of the overall discourse of the publication, I would say. 
in order to appeal to a larger audience, like the lowest common denominator, the more people we can get looking at this stuff, the more money we make, which then ends up compromising the integrity of the news in the first place. It's a really tricky situation. And I mean, how does integrity get stripped? I mean, are journalists mostly like you and your experience? In terms of they are there because they have some love of truth. They have some love of... It's, again, I mean, it's changed so much in such a short period of time. Because when I went to university, I was studying, like, traditional television and, like, newspaper and radio. Like, these uh, platforms to distribute news. And then I graduated and things started going online straight away. And so all of that was almost redundant. Um, and where I came from a generation of navigating news as it's like beginning to go online and figure itself out. So anyone who came after that, I think, has a really different impetus for getting into news and media than perhaps I did or people my generation or before me. And I know that when I came into working, my very first job was at a newspaper called The Financial Review in Australia. And... I worked as a copy editor so like we would get the pages of the newspaper and part of my job was to go over the front page and the back page and check for typos and spelling and doing some fact checking and we would print the pages and stick them up on the wall and they would rearrange them and make sure that they're in the order that they wanted to before they send them to the printers Um, and I was new to this workplace and all of the journalists that worked there not a single one of them would have they scoffed at the idea of having a byline online mm-hmm. like they just thought that any online news was subpar to actual print yeah um so i don't know that that answers your question necessarily because i think the same phenomena of how do you access the truth but I would say I just felt like there was a greater sense of integrity you know because when things did go online there was less money to float these companies so there were a lot of budget cuts a lot of people lost their jobs and were made redundant well and when yeah and so you don't have resources well you well you have more so you have less resources you have more supply because now all of a sudden you have a global freelancer market instead of working with you know just who you know in this office place as your team of journalists mm-hmm. and now you have the incentive is not your reputation as a company you know as being the New York Times this beacon of integrity or whatever your incentive now becomes how salacious can I make this headline so that we make money? So we can make and money. And who can I pay the cheapest to write me salacious headlines? Yes. That becomes the dynamic instead of we are an institution of truth and our reputation is what will carry us. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, to sort of demonstrate that point, as I was going through my journey with news, I had been trained in a lot of traditional mediums to work with. I could wield a camera, I knew lighting, I knew sound, I knew all of these things. I could produce a really beautiful piece of news, package, whatever. But then this is also at the onset of everyone just filming shit on their phones, right? So my skill set was 
not desirable because it, it would be a larger investment when you could just get quote unquote citizen journalists is what they were naming people who just pull their phone out and start filming whatever yeah. and then news organisations are just getting that content right. for nothing and putting that up on their national news broadcasts or publishing it on their websites or whatever so any integrity around forming story as a producer of of news of collecting information to source the truth like these people it's very subjective what they what they're seeing what they're experiencing and then for a news organization not even to have an alternative viewpoint or perspective whereas as a as a producer with some awareness around that you're going to ask different people for perspectives you're going to film it's always subjective but at least your awareness is of more than just the one right does that make sense it does yeah yeah and i hope people listening understand that too i mean so to circle back to what we were talking about with the Instagram thing, that's why it's so shocking to me and upsetting because, A, these headlines, like, just to reiterate, let me just jump onto Instagram here, all right? I don't know what Instagram has any business in any of this anyway. Like I said, it feels like a fucking brand partnership. So we go to the menu on Instagram. Everyone at home listening, you can do this. And we've got settings, archive, insights, your activity, QR code, saved, close friends, discover people, COVID-19 information center. have no idea what that's got to do with Instagram, but then you fucking click on it and all we've got are these stupid headlines which are entirely misleading and when you click on something that says information, like COVID information center, I would assume I might access some information or data or facts about fucking COVID and its vaccination. Instead, I'm getting some really shitty copy that God knows who has written, someone, apparently the World Health Organization. This is rubbish. One paragraph that wouldn't even make it into a grade 12's biology textbook. Yeah. About how vaccines can protect the body from certain diseases. But like, it's, and and for this to coincide at a time where the current narrative is, don't spread misinformation, like get your source, source your information from what, the government? As a news journalist, you would never source information just from the government, ever. That's like, you, as, a, as a reporter, you would never, ever, ever only have one source in your story. That's like a big red flag. That would never run. Yeah. And now I feel like it doesn't matter where you source information from. And now the government has, what, a stronghold on all the information in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, apparently Instagram does. And the World Health Organization. For fuck's sake. <laughs> and so yeah. to your point, too, I mean, I've had a little bit of a spiel about why this really irks me. And having come from an industry that... Um, is producing this shit for people to read and I was formerly a producer of said shit what is your relationship to um, you know companies like Instagram and tech and software development and all of this yeah well I mean so I while you were doing your journalism career I was I spent 10 years 
in tech in San Francisco and working with these multinational companies, Facebook and Google. And, um, and so some guy out the window is trying to sell me some bullshit. <laughs> no. <laughs> On the way. And, uh, so anyway, um, you know, and my focus was really user experience design and what a lot of what goes into that is exactly what we were talking about in marketing. It's like, how can I change the font and the particular words and the, the branding of this page and the design of this page and the layout of this page in order to drive and manipulate someone's behavior in order to ensure that they are going to take the actions I want them to take both online and offline, Mm -hmm. both while they're on the website and so that it changes their perception and their behaviors when they're off the website. Mm -hmm. And so with that as a mindset and knowing that that kind of mindset is built into these organizations, I, I have to know that every single part of this Instagram thing is intentional in some way, that it's not just, it's not just by chance that they're speaking in total, totally vague, generalized terms to give some sense of safety, but no real information. Because these huge organizations are well aware of their, um, <laughs> to use the word, social responsibility, because if they are misleading with language in any way, they could be up for a potential lawsuit. So we don't want to say anything too concrete here where they could get bitten in the ass. Hence, we're fucking reading shit in ambiguity. And, I mean, my understanding from spending these years in this industry is these are probably the most studied individuals when it comes to psychological manipulation through words and design Mm. in our world. It's all the big data that everybody is. That's right. They, they understand how to grab the data. And if anyone knows how to create subliminal messaging, it is these companies. And they are doing it every single day. Now, they may do it with the intention for the greater good, but that's where the, the you know sense of arrogance comes in of like, how can one man know actually what is for the greater good? And how can they know that they're beyond their biases? And, and as we talked about in a different conversation, if there's anyone that's blind to me or epitomizes the blindness of the immature male masculine archetype, it is these companies, it is these types of people who are in these companies playing these games, living with that kind of arrogance. So all of that is just from experience. And it's not to say any of these people are bad people. I have... I mean, the majority of my friends still work in this industry. Um, And they are not bad human beings, not a single one of them. And it's just that we have to understand that there's probably some, you know, 20-year-old intern that's working on the COVID committee at Instagram, you know, via Zoom, that got tasked with writing that little thing. And It's understanding the nature of how these businesses operate. Exactly, and that's critical for us to understand their intention, their impact, so that we can make real decisions about why would we follow 
this company Instagram? Why would we take them as an authority? And that still may be, may be someone's prerogative, but have they thought through who is actually on the other end of that? Who, what are they getting paid to do? What's their incentive as a human being? And the same thing when they listen to these journalists. Who is that human being writing that story and what is their incentive? You know, and oftentimes it's not to change the world for the better as much as it's to get the paycheck and to get the paycheck is to to tow a party line or to tow the party line which feeds their ego and protects their identity Mm. and towing the party line in terms of like what relationship do these institutions have to governments what funding are they receiving from these particular bodies these institutional bodies well and it's really I mean it's not hard to look into at all um, the cross investment, so the investment that a lot of these tech execs have in these medical conglomerates, pharmaceutical companies, and health insurance system companies, you know, and so there's real clear incentive that a lot of these individuals benefit with this vaccine agenda. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I mean, all, all I can tell you about that is you can go look and to see what institutions are involved in the World Health Organization and who is funding those. And you can find that, you know, like ABC Corporation, this Google overarching corp, is funding the same organization that, um, you know, Merck or Johnson & Johnson is funding. So they're, they're working together to create the World Health Organization or the CDC in these in these regards. Those aren't specific examples and I won't be able to give you any off the top of my head, but these relationships exist and you can see them. And if you go even further than that, I mean, what, what happens regularly is that these men with lots of money are being approached to invest in potential futures. And so this relates a little bit less to the pharmaceutical thing. Um, and it, but that, there is a boys club going on in terms of like running the show and get, cashing in on their investments that they're making in particular companies. So it's in their best interest to push a certain agenda. 100%. There is no question that there is a boys club, whether it's big or small how much control they actually have. There is a boys club of owners of multinational tech, medical, defense industry companies who get together, who decide to invest in the same projects so that they get a return on their investment purely for financial reasons and with the understanding that they think they know what's best for humanity collectively without actually taking consideration into anyone else's sovereignty or anyone how many it's convenient how many lives may be lost yeah it's convenient that they think they know what's best for everybody meanwhile their pockets are getting deeper you know it's quite convenient (laughs) yeah that their projected trajectory for humanity also aligns with all the things that they've invested in smart cities health passports you know and every media organization i've ever worked at anywhere has been run by said men who are part of these boys clubs listen the 
you know, so I'm also part owner in this human resources um, company and was a part of a, anyway, a software division that supported all these big companies. And it was clear to us 10 years ago that the biggest opportunity to gain was to get into and manage healthcare, global healthcare. And this was 10 years ago. And so all of these companies have been scrambling and looking for ways since that point to overhaul the healthcare industry in ways that they could benefit from. And not nefariously. This is just what they're, this is the game they're like playing. Pro- uh, uh, projected trends. Projected trends. How can we buy up all of these healthcare companies and run the software that's within them and change the entire landscape of healthcare, thereby, you know, making it more futuristic and thereby controlling it and thereby getting all the money from it? It's really interesting. I mean, I'm just going to have a bit of a stream of consciousness here, but when I think about, you know, we were talking about news earlier and it's ultimately this digital disruption that has occurred, occurred, right? And the different sectors that have adopted digital over time. And I feel like the healthcare sector is, I mean, to your point, there was recognition of where it could go 10 years ago, but maybe it's having its time in the sun right now because it was certainly um, in the UK, Europe, and in, in uh, Asia Pacific, um, you know, fintech was one of these early adopters of using digital to what streamline create efficiencies within business Um, and so investing in these shifts and changes or whatever Um, and now it's interesting to your point about healthcare because it does seem to me that you know even five years ago this wasn't part of the mainstream narrative yet right and you know, I, so I think what you said is really important because I don't think you or I are beating up on these individuals, although I have my moments where I really would love to slap Mark Zuckerberg or Tristan Harris or some of these other guys. You know, in my better moments, I recognize that there, there really could be good intentions. There really could be just someone who's playing the financial game and what we are experiencing collectively in humanity, to one of your points earlier, is that what the internet does, what social media does, is it accelerates and amplifies the human neurosis, the human condition. It's exactly like we were talking about before. So as more and more things go in this technical direction and get turned up by this, as more and more of our lives go on these devices, We are just going to see and thus experience more and more of our own neurosis, more and more of our unhealed trauma. And it's in these companies' best interest to keep us on devices for as long as possible so that they can continue capturing data in order for them to figure out and predict our consumer behavior, therefore feeding us content and information that they believe they know what is best for us that they think we want to see more of which to your point about 
sort of being in this echo chamber of our own trauma, we then end up being stuck in the same fucking narrative, which is what we're trying to break free of so that we can actually evolve and expand into a greater level of consciousness as an individual, therefore as a collective. Absolutely right. And what people often fail to see is that tech companies have have gone also beyond that point. It's not only that they care right now how you act online, they have also invested interests in how you act offline based off of their partnerships and their investments. And and the advertisers who are using their technology have that interest as well. And how do they do that? They do that by controlling your belief about the external world, about the world beyond tech. And the current belief of the day or the flavor of the day is COVID-19 it feels like and we were discussing this the other day and I was like isn't it interesting now full disclosure I do not follow the news I got out of it for a good reason and I wanted to preserve my mental health and I my intention is not to consume um, anything that isn't very conscious of what I'm consuming let's just put it that way that said I don't hear much about Al-Qaeda or ISIS as much these days as I did a few years ago right the flavor of of outrage and hysteria has certainly changed the flavor of fear the flavor of collective fear has moved from terrorism I feel like to virus pandemics which you know influenza has always been around chicken pox and herpes virus has always been around like it's AIDS still exists like there's no cure to AIDS to my awareness at this point in time so I just find it interesting that this is the the flavor of the day right and it really is further expand on that point it's like and this has become cliche at this time but if you hadn't turned on the news at all and we're living out you know off the grid somewhere would you have any idea that anything was going on and no and you wouldn't be afraid and you wouldn't be afraid of the air and you wouldn't be afraid of other people breathing remember fucking y2k bug Remember all the hysteria around that bullshit at the turn of, what, from 99 to 2000? Yeah. And then nothing happened. Yeah. We also don't really encourage... This is the thing with uh, 24-hour news cycles and the lack of reflection is that we don't really look back into our own history as a humanity to see notice the patterns that have occurred and that we're just like oh it's that tree again it's just you know this time it's a different color like it's the same shit just wrapped up in a different wrapped in different paper yeah absolutely fear 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 is what we're being sold fear is what's being used to cells fear cells sex cells Mm -hmm. yeah and we don't we don't free ourselves from that until we we really free our um, well. I think uh, until we disengage from it and create space to contemplate an alternative possibility. Truly, and it's an addiction. It is an addiction. It's, it's an addiction to that mo- emotional sensation. Mm. 
that so many people are are getting they're getting that hit from the outrage and they're yeah. getting that hit from the headline and they're getting that hit of self-righteousness or anger when they see the person without the mask or when they see the the news about the Republican demonstration or the Democrat demonstration and psychologically speaking that's only serving to strengthen neural networks in the brain that you know yeah that's why this stuff is so potentially dangerous because it is altering the way we think we feel we experience the the world the way we experience our reality and that's a dangerous thing we're very malleable as a people we really are and it's our choice back to what you said earlier this is our choice how do you want to feel and how do you want to think and if you have any care as to how you want to feel and how you want to think you need to exercise your self-responsibility to choose wisely what you consume what you put into your body what you put into your mind yeah who, who you surround yourself with yeah and all of that and what you choose to believe is an enormous choice that drives those things drives your thoughts and drives your feelings you know I think there's so many people walking around saying that they care and yet I see them dehumanizing other human beings in everything that they do and everything that they say and everything that they post and, um, and I know they want integrity I know they want to care deeply. And the way to care deeply is is to believe that everyone is human and everyone has a right to their belief. Dehumanization is really interesting because I think it's the the it's a very human way of justifying um, your own belief about something. Because you can quickly cast someone as less than and this is rooted in judgment which generates separation as so long as we have separation in this world um, it becomes a big distraction from the happenings of of life of these companies that are profiting off our fear off our, our separation and when you dehumanize it's really easy to blame and when you blame then you don't Take responsibility. You don't need to take responsibility. You don't need to do the work. Uh, you're by, yeah, you're bypassing your potential growth as an individual. If that's the case. You truly are. Yeah, and that's the opportunity. How much are we blaming? How much are we blaming? And it's very easy. You know, I have friends I love dearly, but it's always like, oh, when this COVID thing is over, when this is over, when this is over, when things go back to normal. And that's the same fucking story again wrapped up in another in other wrapping paper as after 9-11 and everyone was terrified to fly and for a long time people didn't want to travel or do anything in case something would happen and can we really put do you choose to really put your life on hold because someone says someone who says that you should yeah. Someone who you don't even know says that you should. I don't want to put my life on hold. 
I don't want to wait to live until a virus disappears. No. Which... Not especially not when the actions that that person is telling me I should are out of alignment with my caring, are out of alignment with me wanting to humanize everyone, are out of alignment with the type of world that I want to create and that I want to live in. Yeah, with my core values as a person, which yeah. is love, which is connection, which is community, which is integrity, which is truth. These things harmony, balance, these things are are important to me and are not being cultivated in this current... They're being dressed up as such, but just because we say words, and this is where we need to be discerning again as a people, that words and actions are aligning. And what we're seeing right now is a lot of words meaning one thing that's very ambigu- ambiguous, and then on the other hand, we're seeing a lot of people acting over here. And then... Dehumanizing ways. In a dehumanizing way. Yeah. The outcome is not what they said. They were doing. Well, not what we said we were doing. And we have to be real honest about taking an accounting of that. Attacking someone and judging someone for exercising their human right not to obstruct their airways or their child's airways is then being treated like the scum of the earth. Mm -hmm. And I've had people that I would have considered friends kind of attack me simply for having a difference of opinion. Yeah. And I would like to think that it's more human to respect that there are differences of opinions in this life. That's where I would like to arrive as well. I'm not saying any of this is right or wrong, but I think inviting conversation into a dynamic and and encouraging self-expression and exploration so that we can maybe examine what's happening and arrive at a a deeper sense of truth Mm -hmm. yeah well here's to that cheers cheers to that (laughs) Mm. any last thoughts any last thoughts just feels like we're going around the same tree again (laughs) does it i think we covered a lot of new ground no i mean collectively oh collectively Mm. yeah we're back to burning witches yeah we are we're afraid i mean burning witches you know what was that all about well that was about people being afraid of their own sin and being told by the man at the pulpit that someone else was to blame for their sin Someone else was to blame for their disease. Someone else was to blame for the bad harvest. And that person to blame was the healthy person living out in the woods. You know, something that just came to me too is like how deeply we as a people seek external validation. And so if if these collective bodies like the government or these organizations, health organizations, are using language like, you're a good person you are socially responsible it evokes an emotional response within the other that is going to bolster their sense of self bolster their ego and therefore actually feel more separate from what's going on and use that to motivate any sense of self-righteousness 
around this like it's really so with that I then implore anybody listening to sit down with yourself in a moment of quiet and examine what are your values what do you truly value and what is your belief and when you think about your value like if you value family do family values for you are they really rooted in separation or are they rooted in closeness are they rooted in letting your grandmother or grandfather die alone and not attending their funeral to honor their life in any way or not because that doesn't make any fucking sense to me like please don't tell me you value family when all you're doing is just staying away from them right or if you value unity does that mean unity as only the people who agree with you in your community Mm. yeah again that external validation if you have a whole lot of people that are just like you around you then you just feel better about yourself don't you right you're reinforcing how you want to see yourself and how you wish yourself to be perceived and just to circle back to the elderly comment i made earlier i can just almost hear people rebutting by saying oh but they're you know their immune systems are compromised and like we're protecting them by not going near them I kind of want to unpack that with you a little bit too. Sure, let's unpack that. We have nowhere to go. We're on the way. We're on the way. We're on the way. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me about that is we're all going to leave these bodies. And we don't necessarily decide how that happens. It could be a heart attack. It could be cancer. It could be getting hit by a car. Who fucking knows? And so, you know, contracting a virus or bacteria or pneumonia or any of these things just become one of the many gateways towards us, these bodies, completing their journey in this earth plane. So it's interesting to me that we're so hung up on COVID when influenza every single year is equally as dangerous to the elderly communities. Yeah, absolutely. Influenza and pneumonia and heart attack. Slipping, slipping and fucking popping a hip and then <laughs> you're, you're old and you like your body is... I mean, this is just a reality of life. As we get older, these bodies are finite. Well, and that's a huge part of the the hook right here is that our enormous fear of death and the way that we've been sold this as a particularly terrible or scary death um, until we sort of relax around that a little bit. And I think we're so uptight around death in the Western world. It's just it's next level we just like what are we expecting right what are we expecting as a society that like we eradicate covid and then what therefore death well that's not true because death can come knocking in millions of costumes right and if we know anything about influenza and this is similar to influenza in many ways we're, we should anticipate a variant of this for the foreseeable future there's always another mutation. There are many mutations occurring at any one time. 
So, what are we unpacking here? Like, why is it a big deal? You know, with just a, that that such is such a low infection fatality rate, or why is it a big deal? Why is that? Why is that an immediate rebuttal? We're protecting our community. We're protecting the elderly. Well, I think it's a, I think it's a marketing slogan, really, because we're not, we're just not. It's, if it's not a comprehensive discussion about societal health, if it's not a discussion about every type of death and why we prevent some and why we don't prevent others and why we put money towards preventing some why we don't put money toward preventing others and why we make restrictions to prevent some and why we don't make any restrictions to prevent others. If we're not having that kind of discussion, then it's all bullshit. Like it's and we're fine. not having that discussion. It's fine that, you know, cigarettes are widely available all around the world and that government bodies make money from the taxes on cigarettes. And we are all well aware of the health implications of smoking cigarettes we're aware to some degree and another of the health implications of excessive alcohol consumption yet alcohol is readily available in some gas stations around the world so it doesn't make sense to me that like mass meat like the beef industry or something is in cahoots with the fucking heart the heart Association. association and in, the sugar industry is in cahoots with the heart association you know and then the heart association which is claiming to care about your heart health is promoting a, a diet high in red meat which again we also know a diet high in red meat can generate heart disease or yeah. be a, a, a potential factor so Again, I'm not saying I know all of these answers off the top of my head, but it's just interesting to me. I think we just need to examine. Well, in this kind of rhetoric, it leaves no room for examination. That's my issue probably above exactly. all. Exactly. Not only that, but when we're actively censoring and pulling down accounts of people who are trying to just have that conversation about what does societal health mean whatever our best avenues towards that and that those doctors and scientists are being pulled off the internet <laughs> because they're providing human beings opportunity to create health in their own lives that don't come from an injection or from wearing masks or from staying home that to me just seems ludicrous I can't comprehend how it's about health and I feel just sick Tired because I feel like I've said the same thing over and over again, but that drive-through fast food joints could stay open the entire time of this lockdown, and alcohol liquor stores considered essential services considered essential services mm -hmm. the entire time during this lockdown. Meanwhile, so mom and pop shops are being closed down, and they small businesses, which are the backbone of our communities, are you know. This is not about health. <laughs> this is not about health. And if and if we're not allowed to have the conversation about health, and if I'm not allowed to do what I think is healthy for me, then to me that's where the, the line is drawn. I've lost my human rights, and I'm going that's to a, stand up for them. That's a perfect, perfect point. If and 
I'm not allowed to do what I feel is healthy for me. It's my body and I get to choose how I treat my body and nobody can tell me what to do about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's the rebuttal. Like here, someone would say, well, it's like smoking indoors. You have to wear your mask or you have to be vaccinated because your breath is going to kill somebody. (laughs) So you being... You doing what you think is healthy is a risk to society. You're harming society. What do we say to that? Because that's actually what people think and say. Yeah, it just it seems absurd to me. I'm not. I think if someone is capable of saying such a thing, I'm not sure that they're capable of understanding how absurd that is. Yeah, I'm with you. And that that's what worries me. Well, that's what worries me too. I mean, I think that's such a strong spell that's been cast that people are walking around saying that and are living in a reality where they think that the breath of another human being is going to kill them. Um, And in fact, I don't think a lot of people believe that. I think a lot of people are defending their belief because they're identified with being right or intellectual. And that's just the, the handy rhetoric available these days and again i think we need to just take a moment for a little self-inquiry here and ask ourselves do i want harmony love and peace or do i want to be right yes well and i'd say truly look for the proof because i have and i don't see any proof to back up those kinds of claims no and i mean you don't need to look far when you can clearly see that fast food joints and alcohol stores or liquor stores are open which are like completely detrimental to your health. Right, we have decades of information. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> oh, boy. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. But there may be a new scary thing out there, and it's called, you know, blatant censorship. <laughs> and um, with that spreading so rapidly, communities can't have humanized discourse and debate and have negotiation and decide community by community or family by family what health means to them and the truth is is that censorship has always been um around and i just feel like it's worsening censorship was apparent at the news organizations i worked in during my tenure as a as a news journalist and particularly in other countries where I lived in Cambodia and, you know... What's with this? I mean... China? I would say in the United States, the majority of people have lived with the impression that there was never... that there wasn't really propaganda going on. And it would be my presumption that there has always been propaganda going on. Of course. If we know we're creating propaganda worldwide in other countries to destabilize them or whatever and if we know if we can look across at China and Russia and decide that they're creating propaganda to control their population what within us makes us think that our government or our corporations haven't been doing that to us you know for our entire lives and well beyond that especially when we can know that you know, these companies, you know, I'm going to use United States examples like Flint, Michigan, chemical companies have been 
using propaganda and to your point the heart association and these in a, you know in associating with the FDA and these other government agencies have been using propaganda to create the food pyramids to sell us their products not actual health and so we have all these examples that we can agree upon happened in the past and yet we're so reluctant I think it's that we're reluctant to consider that we've been made a fool of that's really interesting well because that really harks to this this deep feeling of um, betrayal right that we do not want to see we don't want to feel betrayed by our communities our tribes our country our people our family particularly if we have you know trusted them to honor the betrayal would mean that there's been a, br- a break of a breakage of trust, yeah. and that's wounding. That's really painful, and it also means when you've been betrayed that you will be invited to take responsibility for your role in that because you chose that partner, you chose that political party, you chose that news source, that news source, yeah. you chose your belief. Yeah, so there's all the responsibility that goes along with that. And then if you've been a zealot, like most of us have at one point in our life, then you also have to own all of the damage that you've done in your zealotry, your years of advocating for one belief or one news source or one party in ways that may not have been actually aligned with your values. And I also think it's really personal. Like if you open that wound of betrayal that comes with realizing someone has lied to you, that's a deep well that's for a every deep well. for every human being. That's all of the repressed emotion around all the betrayal of your life. If if you have repressed emotion, I think most of us have. And then on a deeper level, existentially, still, when you start to uncover that wounding, and to your point about all the zealotry around whatever sort of idea you've been pushing or believing or identifying with, it then leads you to this point of who am I what is it anyway because I don't think again in society we're really encouraged to change our mind or recognize that we can evolve into anything and anyone at any given moment Um, it's kind of like oh well you are a man and a man does this or you are a woman and a woman does this or whatever it is and so we start to play this role in society which is a fallacy and then when we start to realize that we've been portrayed or there's a is the trust is you know broken down or whatever whatever we then arrive at a place of like what was the point of all of that and who the fuck am I anyway if all of this is just a lie and an illusion then what and that can be a really scary place oh totally unmooring I mean without ground to say because what we're actually talking about is to have the entire foundation of your reality dismantled, disintegrated. The rug because is truly pulled from The rug me. is truly pulled out because what you're saying is, you know, this, your concept of being a good person, person democrat, man, boyfriend, son, whatever that is, you just realize that it was hollow. Mm-hmm. That it actually didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. That it actually didn't align with truth. And, and that just because you don't wear your mask doesn't make you a bad person or just because your color outside of the lines doesn't make you, you know, a shit human. Right, Just yeah. because you didn't follow the 
rules at school doesn't make you forever a delinquent. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's such a foundational brick in our sense of reality, especially in the Western world, is to have some real clear, hard moral code. Mm. And yet, I think what's being shattered is is that moral code or that code like that definition of success you know <sighs> and and it's all a distraction all of this ends up being a distraction away from ourselves and away from the opportunity to discover what it is that we do want who it is that we wish to be and become so that we can then go on our own individual journeys in pursuit of that truth for us yeah. so that we can get to the end of this line and at least should we have the great privilege of looking back on our life journeys and hopefully go oh, I fucking I gave it a really good shot you know like yeah. I really milked this thing for all it was worth and I can die somewhat satisfied because I brought all of me out to the table yes yeah and just yeah this whole concept of civilization is really about i mean it ties up to this idea of social responsibility social responsibility is to protect the idea of civilization it's not to allow individuals to flourish it's inherently about a conformity that protects the idea of the civilized world being superior and we need that return to wildness we not in an unrestrained, completely chaotic way, but in a way that gives enough space for people to ask these questions of what truly fulfills me? What are my greatest gifts that I can bring to enrich this earth? And, and if we're not willing to give up this idea of civilized civilization or a civilized way of being, which, which is this whole idea one idea definition of success which is this whole one it's definition of gender roles which is the whole structure that's that has exactly been imposed yeah. over for eons now that we're at this same time so many of us are trying to dismantle this so that we can build the world anew in some respect but this is certainly um a nice juicy obstacle it along is the way it is and the, the good news is that the opportunity is for every individual to unearth their gifts mm-hmm. and to say fuck you to this <laughs> constricting paradigm which won't allow them to, which tells them it's inappropriate or irresponsible to, to be yourself. Mm. And in great revolt to be joyous in yourself. And to trust yourself. Yeah. Trust yourself. To be joyous in expressing who you are, what's deep within you. That is the great revolt we were living through. And that is what will dismantle what people call the patriarchy. This this paradigm of oppression. This need for civilization. So. So. All officially invited to revolt. <laughs> to revolt in joy and trust. 
and joy and trust. And we are going to continue our drive here through the jungle. It's a rich green jungle of uh, the state of Naharit in Mexico. Naharit. Do you want to go to Punta Mita and get a smoothie? We may go to Punta Mita and get smoothies. It's just about 4 p.m. The smoothie place should be open. I can Google it. And, uh, yeah, have a lovely day.